what's the best dream you've ever had? Like, and I mean like a sleep dream, not like hopes and dreams or future aspirations. Like, what's the best dream you've fallen asleep and you woke up going, oh man, I didn't want that to end. That was a great dream. Uh, maybe it was the the dream that you were flying like Superman. Uh, maybe you got like the car of your dreams or something that you'd always wanted. Um, so I'm I'm really curious. What is your best dream that you've ever had? Uh, let us know in the comments. I'm really curious. Uh, you don't have to write the whole story if it's a convoluted dream because they can get that way. Um, you can just let us know a few short words what happened in the comments. Just a little little couple keywords there. Uh, maybe it was that flying dream. That's one a lot of people have. Uh, I've I've had that a couple times. Actually, I can remember two times in my life in the last number of years that I've had that dream. So I can confirm it's awesome uh, to have that one. Um, but I'll tell you, just overall, I don't really have good dreams. Uh, it it just I I mean I wouldn't say that they're nightmares, okay? You know, but whenever I tell Abby the dreams I have, because I remember my dreams, she doesn't really remember hers. But I'll tell her the dreams I've had, and she'll just be like whoa, your dreams are weird. That's messed up. And it's like, you're not a psychologist. Don't, don't judge me, you know, back off. Um, but, but, you know, to be honest, I wouldn't call them nightmares, but most of my dreams are situations that are frustrating or disappointing or where I'm trying to get something and, and it, I'm, I'm just failing to get it or, or do something, um, which, okay, yeah, probably does say something about me psychologically. Um, but either way, my dreams aren't peaceful and nice. Uh, just to give you an example, of one of my my most recent dreams that I remember. Uh, just the other night, I had a dream when I was back in high school and I was taking a math test, you know, like, ugh. so maybe you would call that a nightmare, but I'm taking this math test and I, I don't know all the answers and it's clear I'm not gonna get this done on time. So here's my plan. I'm gonna take the test with me when I leave. I'm not gonna turn it in and then I'll just do it over my lunch period and then I'll bring it back and say, oh, th this, I accidentally put it in my bag. Here you go and turn it in late. Um, as a side note, uh, we've been watching uh, during this quarantine a lot of uh, The Incredible Dr. Pohl on Disney+. Plus. And so Dr. Pohl was my math teacher, if you know the show, just for added detail. And so I go to lunch, right? And I go to this restaurant, and I'm trying to uh, plan. My plan is to, to finish this test and then take it back. Um, but all of a sudden, it's like 5 p.m., okay? It's past. School's over. I stayed too long. The day's done. I haven't finished the math test. I've got a zero. I just, that's just, I know it. I failed the test. I didn't even turn one in. And then on top of that, as I'm kind of freaking out about my math test, I, I start to realize um, that my arms won't move in the dream. Yeah, because that makes sense. Yeah. So my arms won't move. And I'm trying so hard, you know, to get my, my arms to move. And the best I could muster was like to get a few fingers to start wiggling a little bit. And so I just keep trying, trying to make my arms move. And I wake myself up to realize that I was laying on both my arms. So um, that explain explain that. And and if you're somebody that has taken psychology classes and you can like say, oh, there's definitely meaning to that dream. Don't tell me what it is. I don't want to know how messed up my brain is. Um, I just really wanted to you know state that my dreams are anything but restful. Um, my dream my dreams are often frantic, hectic hurried situations where I'm behind, I'm late, or I'm struggling to complete something or get everything done that needs to be done. And I just think that that's how a lot of people feel about their awake life, not their dream life, but their real everyday life. Uh, you know, I've long felt 
that our society, we, we just operate at a pace that is too busy. Um, that's why I wanted to do this sermon series on rest. Uh, you know, I, I let you know in the first week that, that part of my goal with this series um, was to get all of us during this downtime to reevaluate the pace at which we lived our life before this all started, to maybe think, you know, this rest a little bit, there's parts of it that have been really nice, and to think, okay, when things pick back up again, I don't want to go back to the crazy pace. I don't want to give up rest altogether. So that's kind of been my goal, because I think, honestly, for a lot of people, one of the biggest things that has been sacrificed by the pace at life that we've chosen is rest. I mean, so many people, I, I think probably many of you watching, your normal life before this started, you just didn't have time for a lot of rest. Yeah, you slept at night, but but as far as taking restful, intentional breaks, uh, that just didn't happen. I mean, even for a lot of us, even our days off work are are filled with activity and moving and going, so much so that you might even say, my weekends are busier than my weekdays, my work days. And, and what's interesting, though, something that we, we've lost is that rest, those times of rest, making space in our life to rest, those moments, those, those times of rest, those are like the field in which the best things of life are cultivated. You see, rest gives breathing room that allows your relationships to flourish. It's hard to have a relationship when you're going, 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 doing, 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 and never stopping for a minute. But when you can rest, you can have conversations and, and have fun together and do things that, that build and grow relationships. Uh, rest is the space where you can decide that God is God and you are not. Rest is the battery charger to replenish your weary body, mind, and soul. And, and this season has given a lot of people their first taste of real rest in a long time. And you might be watching this and looking at me saying, Anthony, I've had enough rest, okay? I can't take much more rest. Uh, I, need to get, I need to get back to life. And maybe your plan is when everything kind of starts opening back up, maybe your plan is to start doing all the things again because you're going stir crazy, because you've got cabin fever, you've been, you've been held back too long, and so you're ready for the activity. But let me just say, having an overabundance of rest now, having too much rest now, that's not a good excuse to going back to having too much activity. God intended for us to have a, a rhythm, a healthy rhythm, of work and activity with rest built in, all right? So too much work now or too much rest now doesn't mean that, that, that you should just go back to life as it was. And so in the first week, what I wanted to do in this series was to explain the reasons God wants us to make room for rest in our lives. Last week, which was week two, we talked about the spiritual purpose of work um, because having a fulfilling, purposeful life at work, that makes rest that much sweeter when you get it. Um, and today, though, what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the reasons why we tend to not make room for rest. Or maybe you could say the reasons why we tend to have so much, so much activity in our lives. Um, and, you know, before, we kind of just tossed out the excuse like it, we were helpless to it. You know, life, you know, it's just busy. Life is just crazy. Oh, you took a nap. Nap sounds nice. Maybe when my kids leave, maybe when this season's over, then I can 
you know, maybe think about taking a nap again. Um, Abby texted me earlier today. There was something I said. I said I was listening to peaceful music while I was working today, uh, this week, and she said, um, peaceful, what's that? I've forgotten. It's been so long, you know? So we, we say things like that, um, almost as if we're prisoners to the pace of life, to, to, we're prisoners to our schedules and things like that. Um, but yes, there will be seasons where life is crazy, where you won't get rest like maybe you need, but those should be seasons. Those should be situational. I, I think back a few years ago, almost seven years ago now, uh, when Jude was born, uh, Ben Souders was our associate minister at the church at the time. And so we did you know, a lot of things together naturally. And he and his wife had just had their first son two days after we had Jude. You know, so we're like neck and neck right there in the same life stage, having that newborn, waking up all hours of the night, you know, interrupting sleep, going and changing diapers. I mean, we were both doing all of that stuff, trying to be good dads all night long, right? And I remember one time, uh, right after the boys were born, we went to Springfield and we, we walked into Starbucks one morning. It was early. And we just were like dead on our feet, just like zombies, you know, walking in. We were so tired. And we both basically just ordered whatever has the most caffeine give us that. And, and here's the thing, that was rough, but that was a season. Uh, so what seasons do is they come and they go. If it's been like a decade since you've had regular healthy rhythms of rest in your life, that's not a seasonal issue. That's not even a life issue. That's because you've made choices that have led to your life being lived at the pace that leaves you no room for rest. And so let me just talk about a couple uh, reasons why I think we often fail to make room for rest in our lives. There's a lot. I just want to mention uh, two specifically. Uh, here's the first one. FOMO. And some of you, you immediately know what that means. And some of you are like, mm, is that a typo? What's happening here? Uh, FOMO is an acronym that stands for fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. Um, and there's a lot of articles today uh, you could find on the internet from, from places talking about, you know, the fear of missing out. And, and so this, this fear of missing out, this FOMO, it drives us to do a lot of things like say yes to every opportunity, every activity, because I don't want to miss out on the, on the, on the chance to do something. Um, FOMO is what keeps us glued to our phones, refreshing Facebook and Instagram all the time because what, I don't want to miss out on something that's happening in one of my friends' lives, one of my family members' lives. I don't want to miss something important. Uh, for some of you, FOMO is what keeps you glued to your phone or to the television or to something where you get news. And so you're watching news all the time because you got to know what's going on in the world and life is scary. And so you don't want to miss anything important that is being said. Um, FOMO can lead to um, you taking on too much at work because it's like, well, if I pass up an opportunity at work, I don't want to miss out on something because of that. You know, what if I miss out on a promotion down the road because they think I'm not, you know, ambitious enough or, or I don't have enough drive? Uh, what if uh, the opportunity for my dream job in this company pops up and I can't, I can't take it because I passed up this opportunity? What if, you know, saying no to this chance at work, it derails my entire career path and I lose my job and I end up destitute and penniless and homeless and starving in a ditch somewhere, uh, you know, and so we can, we can start playing up these fears in our lives. Um, FOMOs can be the reason why we binge watch things that, that people think are cool because we don't want to miss out. We don't want to 
become culturally irrelevant. There's kind of a, a desire for that when for those of us who are younger, or, or maybe those of us who are trying to stay younger, uh, we want to stay up to date with what's going on. And so we want to watch what's cool or what maybe what our friends are into. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I have to know who got the rose on The Bachelor. And, and you just can't skip that or, or let that go because it's the, there's this fear of what's going to happen if you don't know. And like I said, this fear of missing out, it's gotten a lot of press the last few years. And I do think it's a real thing in our culture. So much so that I think people now, and I think for a long time, uh, people have a, a fear of missing out on behalf of their kids. Um, you know, we say that it's our love of sports and, and baseball. Uh, we say that that's the reason why we, you know, put a, push our kids into t-ball and stuff when they're like three. Um, when they, you know, they can't hold a bat. They can't understand the rules. They're going to run to third base more often than they run to first, you know, because they don't get it. They're just out there having fun, you know, haven't playing games and whatnot. Um, and for a lot of people, I think that's true, right? I think there are some people that, yeah, they just want to have fun with their kids and see their kid do an activity and they're trying to do what's best for their kids, okay? But in just a few short years after the t-ball years, kids get into Little League. And then you have parents who are losing their minds in the stands, yelling at not just their kid, but all of these kids. They're yelling at the umpire. They're yelling at other families. They're causing a ruckus. They're making a big old thing, you know, stir at the game, and they're embarrassing their spouse and their kid. And, and you know, and I think, well, that doesn't seem like they're in it for fun anymore. That seems to me like there's a fear going on that's driving that anger. Like maybe it's FOMO. Maybe it's this, well, if my kid doesn't win these games, maybe he won't see and value the connection between hard work and getting better at something. And if he doesn't get better at something, he might not be successful at baseball all the way through his school years and into high school. And then if he's not good in high school, he won't get into the college of his dreams and get that scholarship that's going to pay for it because we can't afford it. And if he doesn't succeed at baseball in college, he'll never get into the major leagues. And so we start having fear of missing out on behalf of our kids. And I think a lot of us in life, if we're really honest, and if we would ever take a break to really evaluate our motivations and what's going on in our hearts, we would realize that we're not making de decisions based on what's wise or what's healthy or what's right. We're making decisions based on the fear of what we're going to miss if we don't. Um, another thing that I think causes a lot of um, us to fill our lives too full is uh, comparison. Okay, We compare our lives with other people, and I think that is one of the most natural things for us to do, um, but it is one of the most dangerous practices that we humans regularly engage in. Um, few things are as poisonous to your soul, as poisonous to your ability to make wise decisions, like comparing yourself to others. And, you know, I think the reason why this is so common is because social media has made it easy. I mean, we have on our phones every day a window into some aspect of people's lives, right? And, and so we can compare certain aspects of our lives with certain aspects of other people's lives. And, and so you might compare your standard of living with others. And, and so you see a neighbor, a friend, or a family member that buys a new house, and they got a new car, nicer car than yours, nicer house than yours. They've, they've remodeled their kitchen, and they've got the cabinets you've always wanted. They've got better countertops than you could ever afford. And so you see people 
uh, posting comments on those pictures going, whoa, that's an awesome house. I'm, that's so awesome. I can't wait to come over and visit. And you just think, man, I, I, I should have that kind of life. I deserve that kind of life. And so you start taking on extra stuff at work, extra hours, or maybe a side gig to make more money in order to make your life look more like their life. Uh, I think a lot of junior high and high school kids are, are having their, their goals for the future shaped by comparison. You see, they've grown up um, watching YouTubers who have been successful, and these YouTubers have made millions of dollars, and they live in a mansion, and they, you know, they're out on their own because they were kids when they made their money, so they're like you know, 19, 20, living in a mansion with all their best friends around them all the time, making videos, driving Lamborghinis, and looking like they're just having the time of their lives. And these students are thinking, they're young like me, they did it, maybe I could do it. And they're, 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 uh, they're setting goals for the future, and, and they're gonna approach life based on that comparison between what they're doing now and what the life of this other young person who's on YouTube looks like. Um, but I think one of the most encouraged comparison traps, and I've talked about this before, one of the most encouraged comparison traps is for moms. I think social media has made it nearly impossible for any mom to feel like she's a good mom. Um, and there's lots of reasons for this. I'm going to kind of boil it down uh, to, to something that's, uh, I'm not trying to pick on anybody here, but uh, but basically there's always there's always there's groups of overachieving moms um, that like to post pictures of, of all the stuff that they do with their kids on social media, okay? And so there's always an overachieving mom who's up at 5 a.m., who's showered, ready, dressed, presentable, early in the morning, ready to go. She makes her kids breakfast from scratch, you know, no, no egos for those kids, no frozen waffles. Uh, for them, no pop tarts. They get like bacon and eggs and homemade pancakes and things like that for breakfast. Um, she's always posting pictures of their fun activities and the crafts they're doing together, of the adventures they're going on. They're always out doing fun things together, um, and and again, always seems to have time to post these picture perfect photos of their family smiling together, having a blast. And now we live in the world of eternal homeschooling, uh, and this overachieving mom or type of mom, uh, they always have like theme days, you know, for their school. Uh, there's candy and rewards and fun snacks to go along and make the day better, uh, to make learning fun. Uh, and she posts pictures of their kids doing work and, and her kids are never, ever throwing a fit about doing their schoolwork. They always look like doing their schoolwork is the most exciting thing they could ever be doing. And, and you have so many moms who are trying to kill themselves, trying to get up early, staying up late, throwing things together, trying to plan crafts and running themselves ragged, trying to be some other type of mom, feeling like a failure because they can't keep up with, with somebody who, who is just able to do all of those things. And if you're able to do all this stuff, I'm not knocking you. That's awesome that you can do all that stuff for your kids. Um, but again, life, we, we get stuck in this comparison trap, and it is absolutely poisonous to our souls. And, you know, whatever you want to call the reason for, for why we've chosen to take on so much and do so many things, you can call it um, fear. You can call it the desire for, for stuff, you know. Some people would even say there's evil desires that do that for a lot of us, like greed 
Um, maybe you want safety and security for your families. Whatever your whatever reason, whatever name you're going to put to the thing that 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 keeps you going at that crazy pace. What we cannot deny is that we have ignored and in many cases straight up rejected God's instructions to rest. We ignore God. We skip out on rest thinking that there's these external problems, you know, life is too crazy. You know, everybody else is doing this. My kid wants to. I don't want to be a failure. I have to do these things. We feel we think there's this outside pressure that's that's driving us to do all this. But the reality is it's an internal problem because, you see, a restless life reveals a restless heart. If you are living a life without rest, that means that your heart is not at rest, that you are not feeling peace and comfort in your heart, but that your heart is full of fear and anxiety. Maybe, maybe you're worried about falling short of some you know, picture of life that you had when you were a teenager. Maybe you're scared of, of, of failing at some crucial area of life. You don't want to be a failure at work. You don't want to be a bad parent. You don't want to be a bad spouse. Maybe, maybe you have a fear of letting down those people closest to you. But whatever it is, that restless life, it reveals that there is some form of restlessness in your heart. And, you know, there's a lot of passages in, in, the, in the Bible that, that, you know, we could go to to kind of dig into this situation and to help us root out some of that fear, that anxiety, that restlessness that exists deep inside of us. Um, in fact, let me give you a little recommended reading this week. Here's a passage I think you should um, spend some time reading and maybe rereading. Um, it's Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. And you're going to notice it doesn't talk much about rest, but it talks about those anxieties and concerns and the things that we are investing in that, that are driving us to, to be so um, busy and event focused and activity heavy. Um, but instead, I want to take you to just two beautiful verses in Psalm 127. Psalm 127, real short little psalm. We're just going to look at two verses. And, and I'm going to warn you, I think Psalm 127 verse 2 is about to become some exhausted people's life verse today. Some of you are going to read this, and after I explain it, and we're going to go through this and, and pick it apart, you're going to go, that, I need to hear that. That's my, that's my life verse going forward. So um, it's, it's, it's beautiful stuff. And, and again, it's gonna, we're going to start out, and it's going to be a little fuzzy, but I'm going to try to bring clarity as we, as we get to it. Okay, So here's Psalm 127. We'll start in verse 1. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So this first verse gives these two statements. And then the second verse is going to kind of start to apply what we're learning in this, in this first verse. Um, and you might read that and go, uh, so we're talking about houses and like having a city with like guards on the outside. I don't see what that has to do with my life. Well, okay, we got to understand these verses were written to people who lived in, an, in a totally different world, okay? They lived in this ancient world of kings and kingdoms and emperors and empires. And, and, and so let's open this up a little bit, break it down a little bit, and it'll, it'll, I think it'll become more clear. Um, so it starts with, unless the Lord builds the house, okay? Uh, the word house doesn't just mean 
that thing you're all stuck in right now. Um, it means a lot of things, actually, in the Old Testament. Uh, sometimes it means like the house, physical, your dwelling place. Uh, sometimes it, it, it refers to uh, the temple in Israel, God's house, right? Um, but one thing it, it means is also a family line, okay? Like a family tree, descendants, or, or even um, in terms of royalty, a dynasty. Um, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, the Lord promises to build David a house. Um, God wasn't saying, I'm going to build you a sweet mansion to live in. No, God was saying, not only, David, am I going to make you king, but your son's going to be king after you, and then your grandson, and so on and so forth. You're going to have a family line of kings. I'm going to build you a house in Israel, a place, a palace in a sense, a, a throne, I mean, uh, where your descendants are going to sit on that throne for, for many, many years to come. And so what he's saying is, essentially this is saying, is that, yeah, you can build a house, um, but unless it's God's doing, you know, all that work is really going to be in vain. It's saying you can, you can strive and, and reach for and grab for power, positions, wealth, influence, fame, whatever, but unless it's God's will for you to have those things, you're playing a losing game. And then the second half of the verse it says, unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Meaning you can have guards to watch in case bad guys show up. And you can have a great army ready to fight those bad guys. But unless God is behind you in that fight, you're probably not going to win. And there's a lot of stories in the Old Testament that show that that was the case. It wasn't the person uh, or the, the nation with the biggest army or the strongest soldiers or the most well-trained and equipped soldiers that won the battles. It was the people that God wanted to win. And so essentially this verse is saying is there's a lot of times when you and I put effort into things that depend ultimately on God's work and intervention. That a lot of times we are trying to do things that are not within our power. We are trying to get things that are not within our power. We're trying to control the outcomes on our life when the future is not under our control. And then Verse 2 is where it really starts to make sense. Psalm 127, verse 2 says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating bread, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he, God, gives his beloved rest. God gives his beloved, that's us, rest. You see, Anxieties and, and fears, um, you know, that, that, those things that drive you to do more, get more, not miss out, you know, whatever it is, they, they make you feel like you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. And these verses are saying, no, the weight of the world is not on your shoulders. It's not up to you to, to get to the top. It's not up to you up to, up to, up to, to, to always make sure everyone is safe and everything's taken care of. You can't control all the things. You can't control the future. Uh, but yet we kind of live with this understanding that if something in my life is going to happen, it's up to me to bring it about. To bring it about. If my family's going to be okay, it's because I'm going to work so hard that they're going to be okay, that nothing bad could ever happen because I've, I've made sure that everything was taken care of. If I'm going to succeed in any area of my life, it's going to be because of my grit, my determination, my work ethic. And yet in these two verses from Psalm 127, 
we get a light shine on the flaw to that way of thinking. Because verse 1 says, you are limited. There, you can try, but there's a lot of things that only God can do. You are limited. But verse 2 comes along and says, but God isn't. God is not limited. Verse 1 says, there are some things that you cannot accomplish no matter how hard you try. Some things you can't control no matter how much you do. But verse 2 says, God can do anything. And so this verse is reminding us of our limitations, but the limitlessness of our God. And not only is he unlimited, but it says that we are his beloved that, that he loves you, he loves me, that he is deeply, passionately in love with you. He cares about your well-being. That, I mean, just think about the size of this universe that he has created. The universe is so vast, so big, that we can't even comprehend its size even a little bit. And here we are on this tiny little rock flying around a tiny little ball of fire in the size of this galaxy. And you are what, but one speck on that tiny little rock. And yet God knows your name. He knows the number of every hair on your head. In some cases it's a low number, right? He knows every need that exists in your life and the life of your kids. And the people that you love, because sometimes you'd be like, oh, I don't do this for me. I don't worry about me. I'm worried about other people. Yeah, but God loves them too. He, he knows your needs. He knows their needs. And he rejoices in meeting those needs. This is why in the model prayer that Jesus gave it, we call it the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus tells us um, to pray that, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. He, he teaches us to pray every single day for God to provide, that we should wake up every day knowing that today and our future, every day is dependent on God, God meeting our needs. It's not on us. God is the one who takes care of us. So why do we spend so much time trying to control things beyond our control? Things that we couldn't accomplish even if we had the energy to do so, even if we spent every ounce of energy in our being, we wouldn't be able to do it. And these verses are trying to open our eyes to the fact that so much of the striving that we do is a waste of time. So much of the activity that we've made a part of our lives, it's a bad investment. We're, ne we're not going to reap the rewards. And, and, in, and, and in turn, the time we're investing into all the activity and doing all the things, that means we're giving up energy that could be spent probably better elsewhere. And so what we really need to do is trust more of our lives to our Heavenly Father. We need to trust Him to meet our needs. We need to trust Him to meet, again, the needs of our kids. Because again, some of you, I get it, you're not worried about you. You're worried about your kids. Well, you know what? You can trust them with God. He knew your kids before you knew your kids. He loved them before you loved them. They were his kids before they were your kids. And I just love the last line there of verse 2. I just love it so much. Whoops, that's the wrong one. Let me put it back up. It says, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, don't, not beloved sleep, but he gives to his beloved sleep. He gives sleep to his beloved. Now, there's a couple of different ways um, scholars think this verse can be read. 
Um, the first is how we have it written here, okay? That God loves you and he's given you rest and or sleep as a gift, okay? Um, the second is to say that um, God is still giving even while we're sleeping. That not, not that he's giving us rest, but that God is just giving to us. He's meeting our needs even while we're sleeping. That just because you are taking a break uh, from, from doing all the things, that doesn't mean God's taking a break. Um, and both, though, are essentially saying the same thing. Regardless of how you read it, the point is still the same, and it's still clear that you and I need to trust God more. And, and that's what making room for rest in our lives is all about. And maybe we don't think of it this way, but we need to see this, that resting is trusting God. Resting is trusting God. And usually, the thing that is giving birth to those fears and the anxieties that drive our hectic life, usually what's behind that is the fact that we are not trusting God to provide for us. We don't trust him to take care of of us or the people that we love. And yet when we get to a place where we can rest, that says, I know that God is still on duty even when I'm off duty. Rest is a, is a, a way to humbly say, I can't do everything. I can't control the future. And me doing everything all the time and, and being having my hand in a million different things, that does not determine my future because I don't have that power. Only God can meet my needs. And when you're able to truly trust your heavenly Father, when you're able to truly believe in the deepest part of your heart, that he has your back, that he's for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, even when you're unconscious drooling on a pillow, you will be able to rest like you've never rested before. You will be able to sleep deeper than you have in years. Why? Because there's not stuff to do. You don't need to stare awake at the ceiling worrying about all the things because God is still, he's still on duty even when you're not. Even though, yeah, you're going to take the night off, God is going to do things, and he's going to make sure that life is still okay when you wake up in the morning. When you really trust God, you're going to be able to take days off that are actually restful, not a day off of work where you're still doing more work, more things, okay? Because guess what? God is still at work for you even when you rest, and even more so, you need it. You're a limited, finite being. You are not an infinite, all-powerful, sovereign God. No, we have one of those. So we let him take care of those things. And so here's what I want you to do, what I would really encourage you to do. In the coming weeks, as our world starts to reopen, and I, I get it. For some of us, it's not happening fast enough. Some of us are scared, and we're thinking, don't open it yet. We don't want to get the coronavirus and die. Okay, so there's people on both sides of this. So whatever pace the world opens back up. I want you, as things are happening, and as you have options opening up to you and more abilities to say, oh, I'll do that again. Oh, I'm going to have that again. I want you to take time and think about what's going on in your heart and asking yourself the question, do you really trust God to take care of you? And I want you to let that trust drive you to making room for rest when life gets back to normal, or at least the new normal that we're going to find ourselves in. Make a rest a part of that new normal. A healthy rhythm, time off, regular days off every week, 
good, a good night's sleep, the ability to let the day be done and to rest and to wake up the next day knowing God's still there working for you, the ability to take a day off and leave work at work to let some chores and activities go undone because they're not going to be able to return to them what you hoped they would. I think you should actually take Psalm 127, verse 2, write it on a note card or some small piece of paper, a post-it, a bunch of post-its, and put it in places where you're going to regularly see it. Find the translation that you like how it sounds the best, that makes sense, that reads easiest to you. I, I actually, I, I like the message. I put it in my notes here. Uh, the message says, um, it is, it's useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know God always enjoys giving rest to those he loves? Don't you know God enjoys giving rest? I like the way that's worded. It's, it's beautiful. So I want you to take that, write it on something, stick it somewhere, bathroom mirror, above the kitchen sink, something. Some, maybe put it on the fridge, because if you're like me, you're going to the fridge like a million times a day during quarantine. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it all the time. And every time you see it, think, my God is trustworthy. My heavenly Father meets my needs, and he will meet the needs of those I love. And when you really think about his goodness and how trustworthy he is and you let that sink deeply into your heart, I think you're really going to be able to receive his gift of rest.